Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this very basement, which is full of sentient picnic tables that know your sins, a three-eyed cat that wants to have a baseball career, and Jason Voorhees' favorite stuffed bear. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. Let's start out, as we always do, Mikey, with the scariest things that happened to us this week outside of the scary basement. So what went down outside the scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? Roxy, I'm living on borrowed time. I went out for a run. In what way? Okay. I went out for a run, wasn't paying attention, crossing the street, very nearly hit by a car. Oh my god. And then, that same day, uh, I have to park in the neighborhoods, so you, you gotta cross the street to get to the office building. Okay. Almost hit by a car again. Are you like the li- rule, living in a final The rule of threes movie? tells us that uh-huh. I will be hit by a car. <laughs> or or maybe dodge it three times. Just Well, I mean, you gotta heighten. You gotta heighten it. You can't just keep doing the same thing over and over. You have to, uh, if you've dodged it three times, the audience is gonna get ahead of you. <laughs> so you gotta get hit the third time. So it's gonna happen at some point. The question is when, and uh, I'm waiting for it. Well, I'd much rather have it be a boring plot point where you just miss getting hit by a car again so the audience can stuff it. <laughs> Please don't get hit by a car. Uh, Roxy, and that's why you're not a showman. <laughs> I guess not. I'm doing jazz fingers right now. Yeah, he's doing jazz fingers, everyone. It wasn't a lie. It was real. <laughs> uh, what happened to you that was scary, Roxy? So I was on the plane for like the first time in a really long time visiting my folks. And on the way back, I got like severe plane anxiety. <laughs> Ooh, that's scary. I was so stressed out, like, going through the line. I felt like I was sweating and uncomfortable and just, I don't know what it is. I used to, I've been on planes so many times throughout my life, but it just feels like kind of more recently. Maybe it's just, I I mean, flying now is different than it was when I was a kid and different even than it was like two years ago. So I was super stressed out about it. And then when I got on the plane, my entire row was empty. So I got to just sit across three three chairs. So it like significantly made my anxiety go down after that. So I was just on a roller coaster, Mikey. Roxy, I on hate an airplane. to tell you. Uh-huh. The reason those three seats were empty, because those people died two years ago on this very day. <laughs> well, that makes a lot more sense then, I guess, because like the rest of the plane was crowded and only like me and the person across the aisle from me like had nobody sitting there. They, um, I guess those people booked their flights two years in advance. <laughs> And then died that day. (laughs) Oh shit, here he is, the demon bot. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, he's here. That's too bad. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were tasked with watching the 1984 film A Nightmare on Elm Street, directed by Wes Craven and starring Heather Langenkamp, Robert Englund, and Johnny Depp. Did you watch the film or your soul's forfeit? Okay, Roxy, I did watch Nightmare on Elm Street. Did you watch it? Yeah, yeah, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street. Good, then your souls are safe. Mm -hmm. Roxy. Uh, uh Hey. Yeah? We're going to keep our souls. I don't know. For now. See, he did it again, Mikey. Yeah. I like your positive I, attitude, though. Some One of these days, you're going to be right. And I'm going to be I'm like... Someday I'm going to be right, <laughs> and it's going to all pay off. And everybody's going to be like, wow, that Mikey McCaller, he faced adversity week after week, and he never gave up trusting his friend, the demon bot. <laughs> so yeah, this week's movie was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the very first one from 1984, Mikey. I think we had both seen this movie beforehand, right? I had not seen it since i was like 12 Ooh, okay so that's fun it's kind of i thought i had seen it more recently but as i was watching it i was like i don't remember a single thing of this i remember like the iconic moments all that yeah Uh, yeah but yeah it was basically watching a new movie hell yeah that's awesome okay well uh, let's go through the plot summary then so we can all be on the same page i love it we open with tina suffering through a nightmare where she is pursued by a disfigured man wearing a striped sweater and a glove with deadly blades. The man attacks her in a boiler room, and the shock of it causes her to wake up. When she looks down at her nightgown, it has four slashes, just like the damage she suffered in her dream. What could it mean? The next morning, Tina meets with her best friend, Nancy, who is with her boyfriend, Glenn. They all talk about Tina's dream. 
Afraid to sleep alone, the trio decide to have a sleepover and stay over at Tina's house. Tina's boyfriend Rod shows up and crashes their party, but Tina seems pretty happy about it. Real happy about it. And yet, that happiness is short-lived, as Tina is chased again in her dreams by the clawed pursuer. In the real world, Tina is dragged into the air and up onto the ceiling, where she is stabbed and killed while Rod watches helplessly. Rod flees knowing he'll be accused of the crime, and Tina's screams bring Nancy and Gled in to see that Tina is dead. The next day, Rod is arrested by Nancy's father, who is a policeman. While at school, Nancy has a nightmare where she follows Tina's corpse and is chased through her school into the boiler room. The same clawed killer is the culprit, and Nancy wakes up just before she dies in the dream because she burns her arm on a steaming pipe. Nancy now comes to the realization that this is how Tina must have died, in her dream. That night, Nancy is sleep-deprived and accidentally falls asleep in the bathtub where she is almost drowned by Freddy. Her mom saves her just in time. Then, determined to find out more about this dream killer, Nancy enlists Glenn's help and searches for him, the killer, in her dreams. She asks Glenn to wake her up if things go bad, which they do. Rod is killed with a bedsheet in his dream, which makes the cops think he killed himself. But Nancy knows better. She knows it was the dream killer. When Nancy tries to get help from her parents, they bring her to a sleep clinic. While in the dream there, she is injured and grabs a hat from the killer's head and brings it with her into the real world. The name Fred Krueger is written inside the hat. She now has a name for the dream demon and tells her mother. Nancy's mother then tells her that Krueger was a child murderer who escaped on a technicality and the townspeople burned him alive in a boiler room to make sure he wouldn't murder another child ever again. This vigilante justice has turned Kruger into a vengeful dream ghost who is going after the children of his killers. Nancy tries to call Glenn to warn him about this, but his father thinks Nancy is crazy and doesn't want her talking to his son. So Glenn's father hangs up the phone. Glenn falls asleep and is killed in his dreams by Kruger. A fountain of blood is all that's left of him. Nancy can only watch helplessly from across the street as the police arrive at Glenn's house. Nancy rigs her house with booby traps and tells her father to come get her in 20 minutes and sets a timer on her watch just to be extra sure. Nancy sleeps, and this time she's the pursuer, leading Freddy so she can drag him into the real world and ultimately kill him. She's able to bring him into the real world and unleashes her traps on him, eventually setting him on fire and trapping him in her own basement. When Nancy's father finally arrives, Kruger has escaped and kills Nancy's mother. This time, both Nancy and her father see it. Realizing this is still a dream, Nancy remembers something Glenn told her, that dreams have power. And if you stop believing in them and don't give in to your fear, you can defeat them. Nancy follows his advice and is able to defeat Kruger as he vanishes into nothing. Nancy then steps out into the bright morning where her mother and friends are still alive. Glenn drives up and they all hop into his car, only to realize that the car is possessed. <laughs> It locks them in and drives them down the street. Meanwhile, Nancy's mother is pulled through the window by a clawed, gloved hand. And three girls in white jump rope and recite the Kruger nursery rhyme. And then it's credits. Of course, those three girls are standing next to us right here in the scary basement, doing their little song. Just jumping rope. Don't they ever get tired? You'd think they would, but maybe they've just got, like, calves of steel. The cardio on these girls. Incredible. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> Roxy, that was the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street! It feels to me like that is the pinnacle of the phrase, like, the first one was good, but the sequels sucked. This movie is great. It is. It's very good. And the and practical I like effects. the sequels a lot, but, it like, this movie is a movie. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, like, get more hammy and ridiculous because Freddy becomes more of kind of, like, he's wisecracking jokes and stuff instead of really mm -hmm. feeling like he's scary. <laughs> Do you have any sense on, like, what for you it was that makes this movie feel different than the sequels? I have a couple ideas, but I was wondering if that was anything you noticed or picked up. Um, I mean... <sighs> I'd say it has, like, more kind of a grounded feel to it, and Freddy is kept a little more mysterious, because, like, they don't mm. even know his name. They don't know what his motivation is. And, like, the That's viewpoint true. character you have at the beginning is Tina. You don't kind of realize Nancy is the main character until a little bit later. So it kind of lulls you into this false sense of security, thinking, like, oh, maybe she's the actual final girl main character, and then they kill her, which feels like a huge kind of jump. Yeah, that's a way. very early subversion of that trope that I can't think of any other series doing <laughs> for a long time. 
Yeah, and it acknowledging also, that there's going to be a final girl and killing her off very early. Like, it's a psycho twist. Yeah, it makes you also more invested, I think, in the kids that way. And it's also, like, a lower kill count. Like, four people die in this movie. Mm. So it feels kind of like all of the deaths matter a bit more. Whereas, like, yeah. later it's just kind of like, what goofy funhouse idea with Freddy, like, killing a person in a cockroach box or something <laughs> can we come up with this time? And I think that was my big distinction between this Nightmare on Elm Street and all the later Nightmare on Elm Streets is that this movie plays in a really fun way with, like, dream tropes. Mm -hmm. There there are scenes where Freddy's arms stretch out for no real reason. That's so funny. (laughs) That, to me, is what made it scary. Because then I was, like, watching it, I was like, oh, this is how dreams work. And it's somehow, like, they grounded dreams more Mm -hmm. in how my experience with dreams are. As opposed to the later movies that turn dreams into an excuse to be silly Looney Tunes cartoons. Which, again, I want to reiterate, I love and appreciate. Oh, yeah, it's fun. (laughs) But this is just, like, the idea that Freddy is, like, a weird creature that is just, like, lumbering after you in some scenes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden is, like, Nancy, like, pulls off his burned skin and he's got a skeleton. It's, like, it activates these kind of Carl Jungian collective conscious (laughs) ideas that, like, this is not Freddy Krueger. This is a symbol for death. This is not... A, a man who is stretching his arms. This is the embodiment of an all-encompassing terror that is coming for you. Yeah, it's and dreams, I, Roxy. It's dreams, yeah. And the problem is, too, is the more that they, you know, essentially acknowledge him or give in to that fear, it makes him stronger. So mm-hmm. it's like the more you interact with him, the worse it's going to get. And they don't really know that for a very long time. <laughs> they sure um, don't. And he even jumps around, too, because, like, he's chasing Nancy, and when she's in her dream, then when she wakes up, he immediately goes and is like, okay, well, I'll kill Rob now. So he can just kind of, like, be wherever he wants as -hmm. long as you're asleep. Right. So he has, like, specific mechanics. (laughs) That, I think, is something that's really good about this movie, is, like, it's pretty— And and I I don't know how chronologically we're going through this movie. It's why the ending doesn't quite work for me. Same. I would agree with that. A lot. Okay, it does feel like this movie has rock-solid mechanics, and the ending kind of doesn't make sense. I, I think I'm almost getting there on a thematic level. Well, the ending, the ending also... feels like just things are happening. Yeah, it's just kind of like the final stinger, which they were forced to put in there. Like, the director didn't even want to end the movie that way. Oh, but really? they had to. Yeah, it was like producer interference thinking like, oh, we have to have like a scary zinger. That's why when you see the mother being pulled through the window, it's like this awful looking mannequin blow up doll thing that just looks so funny. If you freeze frame it, like, and it's very easy to freeze frame because it feels like it, you see way too much of it for way too long. (laughs) It's just like they swap her with this weird doll and then like pull it through this house like door window that's very tiny. So it looks like extra goofy. (laughs) And also it's just kind of like, the movie doesn't end in reality, it ends in a dream, so you can't really tell, like, what Nancy did or didn't do. Like, is she exactly. just- Is she just gonna go and die now, too, or what? Because it seems it's like she beats him- disconnected. And then, yeah, yeah. It has great rules, and I think they, like, they, like, set up and establish those rules very early. Like, I think the first time Nancy fights Freddy, he slashes a pillow, and there are feathers flying everywhere. And then when she wakes up, there's a feather flying still. Mm-hmm. even though that happened in the dream. Like, they are setting up how these rules work. And then she defeats him because he, again, it is very rooted. Like, I think that what's cool about this movie is how well-observed dreams are. It's like people were having dreams in their real life and then taking that experience and writing movies about it. Like, yeah. in the same way in a dream, I mean, I remember having um, like having a, a bout of bad dreams mm. and being told, like, I think by my stepdad that was like, you're allowed to have control in your dreams. Like you can think, I remember thinking like fall asleep oh, thinking about Bugs Bunny. dreaming thing, right? It wasn't like quite that, that far. I've okay. never gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm dreaming and it's time to soar around like Superman and uh, have sex with a supermodel. I've never gotten there. <laughs> I've always wanted to be able to do like lucid dreaming, but I don't know how real it is. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I don't either. But cool I did concept. hear that, like, if you fall asleep thinking about Bugs Bunny, you're more likely to dream about Bugs Bunny as opposed to whatever horrifying thing I was dreaming. Uh-huh. Did and that-, that worked. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah. I do think we, like, as this movie talks about, like, the, like Nancy goes to the Dream Institute and we talk to the Dream Doctor. And uh-huh. he's just basically like, I don't know how dreams work. Yeah, nobody knows where they come from. <laughs> 
I feel like I've got a pretty good sense. They're just like uh, our anxieties and the feelings and experiences that we're stuffing down. Like this is a natural place for them to come back up. Yeah. One of the things that has always like kind of fascinated me about dreams too is like your memory doesn't hold on to these things lots of times. Mm. So like you have these experiences that like happen in your mind's eye uh, that like while you're in it, it feels very real. And then like you Mm -hmm. don't even remember that you experienced it. Right. You know, which is so weird. Like, I feel like they could have done something with that aspect of it, too. Because, like, they seem to perfectly remember everything, and it's kind of, like, from their reality, you know? Like, sometimes they don't even realize that they're dreaming because it, like, so perfectly mirrors reality. Which is... I will say they kind of did something uh, in dialogue, not in in showing it or anything, Mm. but, like, something I was impressed with early on was when Tino and Nancy were, like, at the sleepover before Rod even shows up. Uh, She says something like, I was being chased by this man with the knives and the stripes. And then Nancy goes like, oh, yeah, you just reminded me of my dream. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of how, Uh like, you forget them until something happens in your real life. This movie is like. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. So that means, like, Nancy had. Yeah, she had been chased around and we didn't even see that part. Yeah. Like, her first encounter with Freddy, we don't even see it. And she can barely even remember it. Yeah, because it was just a bad dream that she got from and moved on. Cool. What a cool movie. (laughs) There is also something that I don't feel like is ever answered, and I don't know if I mind it or not. I uh, I wish a decision had been made. This Mm. question of, like, they say very early in the movie, like, oh, yeah, remember that old jump rope rhyme? One, two, Freddy's coming for you. But then we find out that Freddy wasn't just like an urban legend, that he was a tangible man that existed, you know, 10 years ago. Like, how did he get to a point where he's, I guess maybe 10 years is enough time for kids to make up a nursery rhyme and. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like jump for. Jump roping in the playground? It's like for creep factor. And it's also like they deal with it in later movies and particularly the one that we covered before, which is like the belief that people have makes him stronger. So like make more people believe in him and it makes him stronger. Mm. So it's kind of like lots of people have forgotten about him, um, yet they still have this children's nursery rhyme that can like continue even if you don't even know Mm -hmm. who he is or what he's about because like they say oh yeah i've heard that nursery rhyme but they have no idea who it's even referencing until the mom tells them that's true finding out the truth behind an urban legend is i mean and and that town specifically having gone through a a child murderer that uh god vanished who knows and he killed like over 20 kids also <laughs> that which number is, like, was insane. very high <laughs> yes it's insane for like small town america yeah that would have been history's greatest serial killer like that would have been hundreds of thousands like he would be like the unabomber like he would be known nationally yeah and i think that they 20 children <laughs> yeah like they call him a child killer but i think he's like also supposed to be a a uh, pedophile as well, correct? It's not like he's only murdering I, kids. I don't think Ugh. they ever say that, but there's something definitely about the scene where Nancy is in the bathtub that has overtones of pedophilia. The fact that he's like reaching up through her legs and yeah, uh, and, and and I guess when she like holds the phone and it like turns into a tongue, yeah, he's and like, like I'm surf. your boyfriend now. <laughs> right? Yes, there is there is a, a sexuality aspect of it, and also that's something I wanted to talk about because initially I was getting. The vibes I got from Halloween, where it feels almost puritanical that the movie is killing those who has sex and uh, saving those who do not. But as I kept watching it, I think that they do something very interesting with Tina being the first character we meet. Mm-hmm. And then she survives. She has sex and then is killed. And Nancy specifically does not have sex with yeah. Johnny Depp. And I think what they're doing, and it's something I noticed, and you tell me if you noticed this. Hmm. This movie, to me, and I guess this is kind of getting into the big idea. It feels to me that this movie is about these parents and how far they went to protect their children's innocence and how that in and of itself is a childish act. Hmm. Because yeah, because the distinction... they don't want them to experience like life. Like, you're going to experience Adulthood, that anyway. Yes. Yeah. And and that's Which why I was saying, naive. like, I kind of got there on the end thematically because the idea is that you can never protect your children. Your children will suffer harm and be it as horrific as Freddy or as normal as uh, rejection from college or heartbreak in a relationship, like those kind of normal things. You can't protect your children from that. And to sell your own soul 
to do so only burdens them further because it removes you. Like if, the, yeah. if those parents and the, and the reason I say this is because first of all, Tina dies and Nancy lives. And I was like, interesting. Why is that happening? What is, what is going on there? And to me, it felt like the difference between childhood and adulthood. Nancy is still living within the world of childhood. And Tina has crossed a threshold into adulthood by having sex, a, a, an adult thing. I'm speaking like subtextually thematically here. Obviously, there's not <laughs> any literal thresholds to cross. But like, Tina is an adult. And she dies. And at first I was like, oh, that's interesting because it's less upsetting for an adult to die than a child to die. And it's why I think that bathtub scene is specifically so upsetting because Nancy truly feels like a child in that scene. Like oh, we've seen her just like existing that. in the childhood world. And then that's when she like is being like has the fingers come up through her legs like that to me is like it's it, it was like almost a heightening of how upsetting it is. But this movie does a ton of stuff where Nancy becomes a parent to her own parent. Yes, that's actually an interesting angle, because, like, the act of killing someone, like, destroyed the mom. She's a day yes. drinker who can, like, barely hold on, and, like, but she still cares about her kid and protects her kid, but, like, mm -hmm. I can't even tell if the parents are maybe divorced. They kind of feel like they are, <laughs> and if they're not... They're at least separated, right? Maybe, but, well, definitely, like, emotionally, if not, like, they actually he doesn't get... the, uh, the dad doesn't live there anymore, I don't think. I guess not. Like, he could, and we just never see him because he's at work, but they he mm. could also not live there at all. They That's kind true. of just let that uh, relationship play out without being, like, in your face about, like, oh, well, when your father left to, like, have establishing dialogue, yeah. they don't waste their time doing that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you see the mom get ready and go to work one time when she's, like, in kind of, <laughs> like, her business 80s outfit. Um, but then the whole rest of the time, she's basically just, like, a drunken mess. She, like... They get bars on the window, so Nancy literally can't leave the house. She is trapped inside her own house. Mm -hmm. The mother is so terrified of having her go out. Well, they do so many things where, like, and it, it was, like, once I started realizing this, they do a ton of it where, like, Nancy says something along the lines of, like, young lady, you get it together <laughs> like when she's going to school. Uh-huh. Um, and they also do, like, she, like, Nancy so often, like, takes the bottle away from her mother. Like, she yeah. is acting as a parent to her mother. So I think and, there's like, definitely something too. going on. The way you phrased it, I think, was really smart. This idea of, like, killing Freddy destroyed this mother. Yes. Yeah. She is no longer emotionally able to be a mother for her child. She has had and a line actually very distinctly that I think sums up what you're talking about, where she talks about how like Nancy's power is that she confronts things and like the mother realizes within herself that like she doesn't have the ability to do that. Like she shut yeah. down. That was her reaction to it. She mm -hmm. couldn't face the trauma that she had gone through. She just kind of yeah. wasted away. And actually, that's kind of interesting how the bars show up there. Like if you are Nancy and you are a child who is aware of your mother's shortcomings. Yeah, that but you feels are like still does not happen living later with in them life. and dependent yeah. upon them for uh, food and shelter. How that does feel like a prison. You can't escape and be your own person, even when you've clearly grown past your emotionally stunted parent. Yeah. I'm trying to find it. She Nancy literally says, uh, when she smashes the bottle, she says, that's enough. <laughs> Which is such, like, a parenting line. Yeah, it's like you're you're just done trying to dance around it and, like, you know, couch <laughs> it in a particular way. You're just like, you gotta just stop. Like, I can't tell this to you any other way. You didn't get it when I was trying to be soft with you about it. Right. So I gotta be hard about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find, there's there's more moments that I really loved. Did you notice that Lynn Shea is the teacher? Who is Lynn Shea? So she's, like, been in so many movies. She was, like, in Conjuring think that new grudge movie like i'm not doing a very good job of remembering her discography but you have seen her is she like a horror icon kind of lady kind oh. of yeah like she'll be on the peripheries so yeah you've like seen her face she's a scream queen i love scream queens she's 78 years old right now my oh. goodness can we talk about how beautiful it is when a movie has a teacher scene? <laughs> yes, every time. <laughs> for no reason than to state the theme of the film. Yep. <laughs> it's my favorite moment. Uh, they get into, and, and this is why I feel like it's about how Freddy is less of like a human figure 
and why I almost would have liked it better if he was more mythological and never got that tangible, like, we did actually burn him kind of idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Lin Shay talks in the classroom about how, like, there's corruption at the soul of man. And then at some point in the dream, Freddy, like, slices himself open and there are just maggots inside. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> He's just like, hey, look what I can do. <laughs> yeah. It's it's this idea that, like, Freddy is not a man. Freddy is this kind of embodiment of corruption that exists within humanity. Okay, so his first, like, actual spoken line, aside from just being, like, Tina, ooh, is like when Tina is running away and she says, oh my God, and Freddy says, this is God, implying himself. <laughs> that is like his first like solid sentence he speaks. Is he saying like he, him? I, I don't remember this moment. Was he saying he was God or like his knives were God? He he is God because he's God within he the dream. God. And he's like stroking his face. <laughs> I can't remember if it's before. I think it's after he has the stretchy arms. They're like okay. 20 feet long. And she's just like, oh, my God. He's like, <laughs> this is God. This is God. That rules. Yeah, they get into a lot of, like, you know, the idea that you could have a crucifix and that would somehow protect you from Freddy. Like, yeah. That, to me, speaks to him as a myth, as opposed to a man who was burned and got dream powers. Yeah, he's he's definitely got, like, kind of the Bloody Mary sort of thing where it's like, it, it could be in any town about just, like, some dream killer yes. guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. Like, it, it does feel, as we're talking about it, I don't think it detracts from the movie. I, we're so used to the Freddy rules at this point mm-hmm. that, like, which is something that's kind of interesting to me, like, early on in this movie. Nancy asks somebody, she's like, do you think you can dream about what's going to happen? Mm, okay. Yeah. And her saying, thinking, suspecting, rather, that the rules of the universe are that Tina had a dream she would get killed by a slasher, and then a slasher actually broke into her house and stabbed him while Rod was, you know, sleeping or not paying attention. And that's like an interesting, it's, I don't know, it almost feels like sliding doors moments. It's what this series could have been. It's, that's Final Destination, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But there's also the iteration of this movie where, um... Freddy is just a dream demon, and there's just been nursery rhymes about him for forever. There is a, a version of this movie where Freddy does voodoo a la Chucky and <laughs> learns how to enter people's dreams. Honestly, uh-huh. I was thinking there's a very interesting version of this movie where Rod did kill her. And it was just like uh, flipping it on its head like, oh, it was all in your mind the whole time. Freddy's not actually a real supernatural presence. Not even, not even that. Like, if from Nancy's perspective, we're watching this She's having all these dreams about Freddy Krueger and she's like waking up and there's a feather and she's like, it is real. But it's just that's the only way she can deal with the horror that her friend killed her other friend. Yeah. And it's kind of got that confirmation bias thing, too, where it's like Mm -hmm. you don't expect there to be an actual dream demon. So you're going to look for other explanations (laughs) about how that could really happen in reality. So like, yeah, you have that nightmare and then you see a feather that could be there every other night. But just because it's there this night, you think it has to do with that. It, it almost gets into like invented memories, too. I feel like um, I have definitely done the thing where uh, how how to explain this convoluted thing I did. <laughs> uh, if there was like this feels like a middle school thing where like I had a crush on a girl and I said something or like I was staring at her and I was just like. Uh-huh. And then she noticed and was like, what are you doing, you weirdo? And I was like, oh, no, you just reminded me of something I had a, a dream about. It was actually about how much I don't like you. <laughs> but this kind of like working backwards where like you can't, again, you can't process this idea that your friend has killed your other friend. You, He's saying like there must have been somebody else. And you're just like, what if there was a dream demon? And then you start retroactively going like, yeah, there's a feather in the window. What if that's it? Uh, it's... It's Phantom Pains. That's not quite right. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I mean, you you started off talking about like invented memories kind of like we're talking about and like yeah, maybe maybe suggested memories. Where where like a parent will start putting an idea in a kid's head and you remember it that way, but then later on, probably through therapy, you realize, "Oh wait, that wasn't true. That's not how it was done." Yeah, it's like a self-coping mechanism kind of. Where again, mm-hmm. it shows that like I don't know, from Nancy's perspective, she doesn't shy away from the crazy reality that, yes, it is a dream demon. (laughs) Whereas, like, her boyfriend never believes her until he dies himself. Never (laughs) once. (laughs) Even though he somehow has knowledge of, like, oh, man, did you hear about these people who, like, walk in their dreams and, like, can control their (laughs) dreams? And if you don't look at the dream demon, 
then you don't give it power. It's like, how does he know that? And why does he even care? Because he doesn't even believe her. He has, listen, this character is flawed. <laughs> he great. not only has so much knowledge of dreams that he kind of functions as the goddess. Like he gives Nancy the idea that she will use to eventually defeat Freddy. He is not just not believing Nancy about the dream demon. He seems unaffected about the murder of his friend. Yeah, that's a good he's point. Like, he's so blasé about it. We're just it. trying to go back to school. We're just having a good fun hangout. <laughs> I'm just Johnny Depp in a crop top watching TV and listening to my record player while on my bed. <laughs> he has like this he big CRT his... TV sitting on his lap at one point. <laughs> like, what are you he's doing? like carrying his TV around like a Nintendo GameCube with a little <laughs> handle. <laughs> laying next to him on the bed insane <laughs> i do i do think that his parents though are like a really good example of again this fear of letting your child grow up which i think that the the murder of freddie is kind of thematically and hyperbolically articulating this idea that your child like you obviously don't want your child to be molested or murdered but your child is going to experience horrifying things and the fact that by keeping their child away from what they see as a negative influence, like they are trying to keep their child, Johnny Depp's parents are trying to keep their child a child. Hmm. They're saying that this Nancy is dealing with the reality of the world and therefore is a bad influence. Well, because and from their by perspective. by cutting her off, they kill their child. Yeah, from their perspective, they think she's like crazy. Well, at least the dad does. The mom is like sympathetic. She's like, that kid mm -hmm. just saw two of her friends die, and, like, her mom is going a little bonker. Well, like, they <laughs> they probably know she daydreams, but, like, she literally put bars on the windows. Like, that kid's having a rough week. Yes. And, and meanwhile, <laughs> the dad is like, oh, no, I just don't want them talking to him. They're crazy. So he's, like, exactly. literally not even – he's made up his mind about it and isn't even, like, looking at reality of what's going on. And, that, and that's why it feels like thematically it's saying that the – withholding of growth from your children is what will destroy your children yeah like the dad whether like the idea being your child is going to meet crazy people and it's not going to destroy them if they have been made strong and if they are like good valuable viable or valuable people <laughs> in the world they can meet a crazy person and it won't destroy them if you are confident that your child is going to remain a good person like you can allow them to interact with potential yeah, it, negative it's about it's about trusting your kid as well. So not just about like not letting them grow up because I'm sure like I, I am not a parent, so I cannot say, but I'm sure every parent faces that one point where they have to be like, oh yeah, my my child is going to do things that I'm not going to understand completely anymore, and I have to trust and let go of that. Mm -hmm. And I think which this, is valuable as a parent. Yes, <laughs> like, as a parent, and kind, just like letting your job. letting your kid grow up as an individual like that. That is what you need to be able to do. Um, <laughs> and I think this movie also deals kind of like with the generational trauma of these kids are paying for their parents' mistake as mm -hmm. well. Absolutely. It's, which, like, they have absolutely no connection to Freddy. They didn't do anything to Freddy, yet they're his target because their parents killed him. So that's why um, he's that's going after I, them first. It's something I wrote down right during that teacher scene. Mm -hmm. um, they mention that... The teacher talking about Shakespeare, whatever the fuck she was talking about, this idea that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. What I was getting from that, and certainly by the end of the movie, these parents chose to live by the sword and these children died by the sword. Like, mm. that's the horror of original sin. That's like this this nightmare idea that because Eve ate an apple 35 generations, God still has the impetus on man to apologize <laughs> That we are born I, sinners, which is a fundamental tenet of Catholicism, at least, if not Christianity as a whole. Yeah, but I think it's also just kind of like whatever the previous generation did is going to influence the generation that comes after, whether you like it or not. I mean, like, yeah. we're we're both, everybody is a product of this, but, like, we've seen this in huge ways as, like, millennials seeing, like, what the previous <laughs> generation has done to, like, wreck what our future is going to be. And that's like a teaching moment to be like, well, don't let that happen to the generation who comes after you, too, because it fucking sucks. <laughs> um, I do think that the um, every new parent should watch Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And sure. get a good sense yeah. of how not to do it. Don't <laughs> yeah. become a vigilante. This is an instruction manual on how not to parent your child. And also uh, just live mine, as a human. 
<laughs> a friend of mine who got pregnant for the first time in her life a few years ago, she did go to Lamaze's class and they all together watched A Nightmare on Elm Street. And that's great. What she's a great mom now. And, and that's why, because of this movie. If she had not watched this movie, terrible parent. <laughs> Roxy, I got a question for you. Uh-huh. This movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street, features a lot of bad dreams. <laughs> it sure does. To say <laughs> the a, least. This is true. <laughs> Roxy, what is the worst dream you've ever had? The worst dream I've ever had. So I don't really have a specific one I can point to. I'm not someone who has like reoccurring dreams, whether they're good or bad. I, it seems like it would be fun if you guys do have that. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> um, but I, I will frequently get like dreams that extremely stress me out because I, while I'm in them, I believe the reality of it. And then while I wake up, it still feels like it's real in the real world. <laughs> Uh-huh. Just like this movie. <laughs> Various things like, oh, I didn't do this really important thing, now my life is ruined. And I will, like, wake up with that feeling, and it is the worst feeling in the world when you believe it. And then it takes me, like, you know, a couple minutes before I'm like, wait a minute. No, uh-huh. okay, that's not actually real. Okay, my life mm-hmm. isn't ruined. Got it. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, my brain is the one doing that to me. I can't blame that on Freddy. My brain did that, Mikey. <laughs> Your parents forgot to turn in an assignment on time (laughs) 10 years before you were born. (laughs) And now that assignment is haunting you in your dreams. Just never, never goes away. What about you? What what is the uh, worst dream or type of dream you've ever had? I have, I'll I'll tell you the type of dream I have a lot that stresses me out. And um, have you watched the show Search Party? I have not. I just started it. The final, the final season came out, like season four or five. Oh, okay. Um, the first season's pretty good, and then it ends with something horrifying, and they kind of murder somebody. What? Okay. And the second season is kind of about them covering it up. That's uh, interesting. I have definitely had dreams a lot. Dreams that um, this season of Search Party activated, wherein I have murdered somebody, and I'm just like, no matter what happens, my life is over now. I either have to go confess to this and go to jail for forever, or I have to live my life in constant fear of this coming out. And just this feeling that like, okay, I can never take this back. I've Yeah. Uh, the feeling there's never nothing being able I can to take do something about back. It. Yeah. It just is what it is. Yeah. That sucks. And Search Party Season 2 is actually kind of an uncomfortable watch. I'm only a couple episodes in because it's so uncomfortable. It sounds me. like <laughs> it because how can you really get behind characters who are murderers unless like it feels like it's justified well, in some I, way? I, I will say that Season 1 does a pretty, like, it. Season 1 is almost a sitcom. It's like the, the stakes are very confusing. low. Okay. And the way the murder happens, like, you're still very much on the character's side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can understand why they did it, but they also do a good job of like, nobody's going to believe this. Nobody's going to believe you when you say <laughs> this was an accident, even though we know it was an accident. Yeah. Uh, Search Party is really good. Uh, I'm very excited to continue watching it, and people seem to like the like it as it goes on. This episode is uh, sponsored by Search Party <laughs> on whatever on network whatever it's on. on. <laughs> <laughs> Literally nobody knows. <laughs> no, it's HBO Max. Watch it. Oh, okay. Um the specific dream I remember having just one time in my life, but it was so scary, uh, it stuck with me, was, the the broad strokes are, I was being chased by my little sister. Okay. Who is, you know, uh, three years younger than me, two or three years younger than me. And we were in our basement, which now looking back on it, like my mom was a hoarder in real life. Oh, And so we just had like real. tons and tons of boxes Damn. in our basement that were never going to go anywhere. And, um... I remember being in our basement downstairs okay. and my sister chasing me and she was some kind of vampire. Oh. And the moment that was so horrifying and that scared me and scared me awake. The, the only time I remember screaming myself awake. Oh, um, you did have one of those dreams. Yes. Okay. My sister as a vampire. Uh-huh. Like turned up and called upstairs. She said, mom, I'm hungry. And my mom called back down. I didn't see my Uh-oh. mom in the dream, but she called back down and she said, okay, you can have a snack. And then my sister like turned towards me. <laughs> no. And so it sounds very silly, but that dream was very clearly hitting on this idea that like, oh, my parents favor my sister. <laughs> oh, and, okay. And they would sacrifice me for her and that was that ended up being true she was uh in toxic narcissist parents terms she was the golden child 
mm. because she validated my mom's narcissism and I was not so much a scapegoat, but kind of like a scapegoat in that I would stand up to and confront my mother and every once in a while, not very often. But therefore, I was less likely to give her the narcissistic supply she needed. So whatever my sister wanted, she got, and I did not. Okay. And so she was, uh, like, that dream was my parents condoning her literally sucking my life force out of me. He's, yeesh, that is uh, rough, Mikey. I'm sorry. It's a scary one. The, yeah, I mean, that's it's fine now. I mean, yeah, it is. But when you're a kid, you don't know it's going to be fine. So it makes it even more terrifying. That's a great, that's a great call. <laughs> I, did, I did not know it was going to be fine. <laughs> Roxy, on a scale of one to nine. Since 10 does not exist in the scary basement, how likely would you say the events of this movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street, are to happen in real life? Uh, I I gave it a 1 out of 9, because not many people have waking nightmares where someone actually gets hurt. But it's not a 0, because sometimes people have night terrors or walk in their sleep and crazy shit happens. But specifically I... dream demon related, yeah, no. <laughs> Probably not. Um, I, I don't think zeros are on the scale. They're not? So it sounds okay. like you want to give it a 2. Because no, I gave it I still a one. It's a one. I still think it's a one. <laughs> okay. I gave it a one also okay. as the absolute lowest possibility because it was like, number one, a family burning a pedophile, like they would all be caught instantly. Like the law knows that this man just got off but part for of the, being a child. The, the dad, Nancy's dad is the law though. That's a, hey, so. that's a great call. Small um, town first of all, law man does what he wants. I, I don't necessarily buy that a group of parents get together and burn no matter how disgusting a pedophile he is i don't necessarily buy it could happen i also don't buy that the pedophile gets dream powers yeah how does it's just he has a curse so he's so angry about it and third of all so evil if the pedophile gets dream powers Uh if these already two one in a million things happen in a row if you win the lottery and then win the lottery again this third thing that happens that if the pedophile does get dream powers He's not all laughy and jokey and silly about it. He's angry. He's mad about what happened to him. He's yeah. not like a Looney Tunes figure who's like sneaking. I mean, That's he's, he's less point. of a Looney Tunes figure <laughs> in this movie. He's not having a good time with it. He's angry and aggressive the entire time. He does not laugh. He does not turn his tongue into a phone. <laughs> he doesn't do any <laughs> of this bullshit. Yeah, he he's fucking having, kills them aggressively. He's just having a great time. The entire time. And now that I think about it, yeah. And, like, maybe that's what is so unsettling or, like, makes him essentially, like, uh, he has more of a personality than just, like, a dude with a mask would. Or Mm -hmm. just, like, you know, a regular angry man (laughs) would. Like, (laughs) Freddy To be clear, it's a good movie-making decision. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. For, like, many reasons. It's, like, the right choice for Freddy to be this way. Yeah. And I guess it's just, like, he's just that, (laughs) that nuts about it, I guess. Or, like... He he killed 20 kids and was happy being able to do that. And now he gets the chance to do it again. He's stoked. <laughs> He's, he that's gets a, that's, let listen, out. That's a great point. When you look at the entirety of Freddy's career, that's 20 murders, one admittedly rough night where he gets burned to death. Yeah. But then more murders? Like, yeah, he's still, that's a blip. He's, he's he still get over it. in his stride. He's still doing what he wants to do. Ah, <laughs> uh, Freddy. Okay. We made a bet last week, didn't we? Yeah, we did. So the bet for last week was how many people fall asleep in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, this movie that we have watched. Mm, um, yes. So, Mikey, you said six. I said nine. And the mm. answer was five. Five. So you're That's one me, off. One off. Good job, Mikey. Wow. Incredible work. Uh, that brings our total bet score. Oh, so the start of Scary total. Basement. To Roxy with 11 wins. Yeah. Mikey with 7 wins. Yeah. Tie with 1 tie. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Which one was that? We got a tie? Were you just like equally equidistant from whatever that was? I I feel like that's what happened. Okay. Both like you went 4 too high and I went 4 too low. And so we just tied exactly. There we go. Okay. Well, hey, Mikey, you got to step it up, huh? I'm still beating you. All right, here he is, the old demon bot. Mikey and Roxy, you have successfully reviewed A Nightmare on Elm Street. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week, you must review the 2022 film Scream, the sequel-slash-franchise reboot of the original Scream series that is currently in theaters. If you do not, your souls shall be forfeit and I will claim your bodies as my own. Okay. 
We can new watch Scream. Scream, right? New Scream. I'm excited. <laughs> I actually am very excited for a new Scream. <laughs> I'll go at like early in the morning. I'll be the only one in the theater. I can't that wait. Great. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's make a bet for this new Scream, huh? Yes, let's do that. Okay. You got, you got a bet, Mikey? Yes. Here's the question. Okay. Assuming Nev Campbell gets first billing, David Arquette gets second billing, Courtney Cox gets third billing, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever is the killer in this new scream, what number billing do we think they will receive? Okay. So in the in the end credits? Yes. Okay. We'll go by just like, yeah, the cast will be Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox. Imagine it's not any of those. Then it'll be the new people. I'm going to say the eighth build character will be the killer. Okay. I think they'll be a little higher up there, so I will say sixth. Okay. Six. Perfect. We got All it. Right. The bet's locked in. Okay. We'll find out next week who is right. The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. The winner will be the one who guesses who the killer will be based on the cast billing order. The loser will assist me in performing an experiment by dressing up as the ghost face killer and running an obstacle course to see if the killer really would faceplant as often as he does in the films. So, Mikey, we've been talking about a lot of intense, rough, horror-related things. How about we talk about something happy? I love it. Uh, what is making you happy this week, Mikey? Roxy, what's making me happy this week is an app. An app? Called the Nike Plus Run Club. What? Okay. <laughs> Explain. Uh, it's an app by Nike, and it does suggest Nike shoes to me that I should I buy. I bet it does that a lot. <laughs> but what it does is it tracks how long you're running, and I'm getting back into running in my neighborhood. Oh. And I haven't- Look at you. I, I, I'm like much worse at outside running. Like I love running on a treadmill because you just set how fast you're going and just do it. Yeah, and you can stop and start. You're not in a location that you have to get back to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> When I'm running in the neighborhood, I'm really bad at modulating my own speed. So I go really fast at the beginning and then get tired and have to walk at some point. Uh-huh. But what Nike Plus Run Club does for me is not only tell me my, t- my speed so I can slow down if I need to, but it also tracks all your runs. And I am very slightly, every day I go out running, getting a little bit better. Getting Ooh. a little faster, run, walking a little bit less. Uh, it's it's getting better. It's very slight. To be clear, the changes are very slight. I mean, but, the, the fact that you're still logging it in, that you're still doing it, and like seeing any kind of improvement, you know, like that's that's great. Yeah. that's I'm pretty much a god. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I go that far, but <laughs> I'm very proud of you. That's great. I should take your example and uh, be more active, honestly. Yeah, do it. What's making you happy? Uh, what's making me happy is I'm catching up to something that made you happy a couple months ago. I can't remember which episode it was, but we talked about how you were a fan of Gordon Ramsay and his various uh, yes. media TV shows. I finally started watching various Gordon Ramsay shows like Kitchen Fuck Nightmares yeah. and Hotel Hell, where every episode, Gordon Ramsay goes to hell, Mike. <laughs> Did you know this? <laughs> and there's like a tiger down there for some reason. <laughs> Sitting on a bed. Wait, do you mean a literal tiger? <laughs> yeah, in the opening for Hotel Hell, he goes to a hotel that is in hell and goes down the elevator. And when he lands at the bottom, there's various hell-related rooms, one of which just has a normal <laughs> tiger sitting on a bed <laughs> that, like, roars at him. And then he keeps walking. <laughs> also, it's all on green screen, so I can just imagine, like, filming this where he has to, like, walk in place or something. <laughs> It's very bad when, like, I think, I, I think it might be Kitchen Nightmares where he's like throwing CGI yes, knives and at like the catching camera. them to, or like <laughs> looking at them to dodge them. But uh, every episode, like, he goes to save a restaurant that might or might not get saved by the end of it. Usually, when you check afterwards, it's like they've put themselves into such a hole that no matter the improvements he makes, they generally all close. <sighs> but you get to see it transformed. You know, in regular reality TV show fashion, I'm not sure how much of it is real, how much of it is fake, but I know usually even when he gets the most belligerent of owners, they'll like turn around and be like, oh, yeah, he is actually here to help. Like we contacted him to come to the show. Why was I screaming at him? It's like, oh, yeah, I just couldn't let go of my pride of thinking I'm like the hottest shit, even though I'm literally tanking my entire life into the ground. That's what's so satisfying about it. When you meet people like that in real life, they never have that moment. Exactly, yeah. Gordon Ramsay forces them to confront what they're doing that is a negative behavior 
And either we get to see them fail or we get to see them come around. And it's just like a, such a cathartic moment. Yeah, it, it truly is. And it puts like your life in perspective too when you're thinking about like, well, is there something in my life that I just don't know that I'm like completely tanking my entire life with that I need to mm-hmm. change, that I'm not self-aware enough to change? Do I need Gordon Ramsay? Roxy, Ramsey do you want me to do a Gordon Ramsay for you? <laughs> Maybe, I'm scared. <laughs> but yeah, sure. You need to get out of the scary basement. Okay, well, Roxy, we do... <laughs> you keep coming to the scary basement week after week, and there's no good culinary food here. There is no good risotto. There are no good Wellingtons. It's dry. All the salmon is dry here. All the risotto's dry. <laughs> You're storing your meat in a cupboard, and it's haunted? Everything here is haunted. Why are things so haunted in the scary basement? Well, he has to take it up with the owner, because we are not owners of the scary basement. We are merely in, in employees, I guess, at this point. Hey, that's a great point. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay needs to come and talk to a demon bot, is what I think needs to happen. Roxy, each week, Demonbot does hire a new monster to guard the basement door, and this week, it is Gordon Ramsay. Wait, he's the monster, though? Oh, he's Demonbot's monster. You to stay in the scary basement this week. He doesn't talk as staccato as I am making him. <laughs> I'm convinced that's a 100% genuine Gordon Ramsay impression. He's right here in the scary basement with us, guys. Thankfully, um, the thing I brought to distract him was... A perfect risotto. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to open up the door here. I want to try it first, though. Can I try it? Yeah, you have a little taste. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah, he's got... He can't... He can't knock that risotto. He's not... He's going to love it. He's going to say that line, the good food line. Put it up there, and we'll wait for him to take it. Oh, he's got it. He's got the risotto. Okay, he scurried over. This risotto is excellent. Okay, quick, follow... It tastes... Like the opposite of a dog's dinner. Roxy, go, 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 run! Good risotto, by the way, Mikey. You gotta give me that recipe. Okay. Okay.